Father, thank you this morning that it's in you that our hope is found, that we don't have to look to other places and other things, but you are our hope, you are our light, you are our song, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time we get to spend together, and I pray that you would bless it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here, working in our hearts, and convicting us where we need conviction, helping us to see Jesus afresh um, and helping us to just see him as our all in all. I pray that you would bless Helen now as she comes and speaks. I pray that you would just help her to to know exactly um, what are the things that really need to be said this morning here particularly. Lord, that you would just um, give her your spirit, Lord, um, and empower her this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless us and that we would go away from this time this morning so blessed um, and there would be rich fruit I pray in our lives in Jesus name Amen, Amen. Helen we'll get to know you a bit first yeah. <laughs> could you just share with us kind of where you where you come from <coughs> what you do as a job I know you're in between jobs it's a bit difficult but uh, yeah, so I live in a place called Surbiton, which, if you don't know, southwest London kind of area is halfway between Chessington World of Adventure and Wimbledon Tennis. Uh, they're the kind of places that I avoid, like the plague, <laughs> on a regular basis. Um, I've lived there all my life. I've only ever moved about a mile in my entire life. Um, and I'm waiting for that moment when God calls me somewhere extra uh, and I get absolutely terrified. Um, I live there. Um, I, my, my standard stock phrase is, I'm 50, I'm single, I live alone with cats, I love it. <laughs> uh, not ashamed. Uh, and thoroughly enjoying my, my life in Surbiton. I go to um, a church in Wimbledon, which is just a, a little bit further uh, down the train line at a church called Dundonald Church. Um, as for what I do for a job, I, that's a really hard question yeah. to ask just this week. On Wednesday, I left my job. Uh, so on, uh, up until Wednesday, I was the Director of Training and Mentoring at London City Mission, which meant I had a wonderful job training people to be missionaries, but not overseas missionaries, training people to be missionaries here in, in England, uh, working in our capital city uh, and the surrounding areas. So I spent most of my life teaching uh, with a bit of writing. Um, but I'm also a trustee of Biblical Counselling UK, uh, and one of the reasons I resigned from that job, which I absolutely loved, is to spend a bit more time uh, on the Biblical Counselling side of things. Um, I'm hoping to start a new job in Easter, but it's embargoed at the moment because I haven't signed the contract yet, so I can't tell you what it's going to be, <laughs> which means I've got to come back sometime yes. <laughs> and tell you a bit more about what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> and, we were, and Helen's written a number of books, so do you want to tell us about... Mm. We've got, we've managed to find a few of them here, three of them, but there are others, aren't there, as well? Yeah, so uh, my friends have this standing joke that I write books on subjects that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> um, and I think they might be right. Uh, so uh, I've written a book uh, for pastors on self-harm. Uh, I've written a book uh, for women uh, on purity, um, uh, which really stems from the fact that uh, one in five Christian women use pornography regularly, but how often do we talk about that? Uh, and a lot of Christian women will struggle with fantasy and things like that. Uh, so that's a, a book written for women that are struggling with sexual purity, but not kind of in their relationships with other people, but what's going on inside their own heads. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I assure you, if you say that at a dinner party, everyone stops talking <laughs> to you instantly. Uh, so unpopular. Um, thankfully, the book's not unpopular. Yeah. Um, 
And then the book I wrote after that, um, it just kind of went downhill from there. I started writing <laughs> on domestic abuse after that, uh, which of course is another really important subject, something that's you know, far more prevalent in the church uh, than it should be. Uh, but again, another topic that most people uh, don't really want to talk about or acknowledge yeah. is happening. Uh, but I've been really encouraged the number of people that have been engaging with that uh, and going around helping churches respond better to, to domestic abuse. So often people's natural reaction is, well, you're Christians, therefore you have to stay together. Mm. But the reality is, uh, actually, whilst you, you, know, you, you do want marriages to survive, actually safety is important mm. and thriving is important and very often uh, distance is important uh, mm-hmm. to achieve that. Uh, but I have written a few that are slightly less controversial. <laughs> um, so there's a, a course called Real Change, which I wrote with one of my uh, former pastors. He's now teaching up at Oak Hill. Uh, it's a six-week course on looking at how we change biblically as human beings. Uh, and then um, uh, with a friend of mine, I've written a book on how to pray for your city. So if you have a passion for praying for Bristol, uh, that might give you some pointers of just how you can spend just a few minutes each night praying for different aspects of your local city uh, and so uh, asking God to be at work in those different facets of the city. That's brilliant. I think that's all that are there so far. <coughs> yeah. you coming. Oh, thank you so much for coming today. We're eager to hear from you, so back on. <laughs> oh, hello. Yeah. Oh, I do the only bit of doing talks that causes me any anxiety whatsoever is the technology. <laughs> now, you lot, you're not scary. You're quite normal and quite lovely. That thing in the corner. <laughs> if the worst comes to the worst, we'll manage without it. Uh, and I'll just have to do a jig at the front to keep you all engaged. Um, oh, that's, that's looking more hopeful. Is that the next? Um, uh, yeah, let's start on that slide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, just to um, give you a little bit more background, people often wonder, well, Helen, you're into biblical counselling. Does that mean you're one of these really sorted people that's coming here as a therapist to tell us what to do? Well, I hope that my, my job and my training means I do have some expertise in how to stand alongside other people pastorally and in the counselling setting. And I hope my, my background gives me some experience in training. But I just wanted to be upfront and honest with you at the start of the session that I'm not here as someone that doesn't struggle with anxiety. I'm here as someone that does struggle with anxiety. Um, I don't struggle with it as much as I used to. And I'm confident that at some point in the future, I'm going to struggle with it less than I do now. Uh, but like most of us in this room, I, I get what it's like to feel anxious. You know, I often say I, I have this dream that I want to be this kind of person that can wake up in the morning and just feel confident about the day ahead. I, I want to go to bed at night uh, and not turn over the events of the night before and torture myself with some of the silly things or perceived silly things that I've said. You know, I, I want to be somebody that can get on a plane and not panic. I have a, a really big phobia of flying. It's not as bad as it used to be. But I, I was speaking in Poland not so long ago. And, and well, yeah, you can laugh. I was going to say, don't laugh. You probably should laugh. <laughs> as I was sitting on the plane, I texted one of my pastors to ask him if he could do my pray- the prayers at my funeral. Because I was so <laughs> convinced that the plane was going to crash. Uh, thankfully, he just texted back and very lovingly told me not to be such a prat. <laughs> <laughs> have a good relationship with all of my pastors. 
But, you know, I also know the depths of anxiety as well. Um, I, I get to deal with a lot of trauma in some of the work that I've done. Uh, and I know what it's like to struggle with things like post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that. So I've seen the extremes of anxiety. So I'm hoping what I'm going to bring to this morning when we're together is not just some kind of clinical, biblical understanding of anxiety. But along the way, I'm going to share a little bit of uh, some of my journey as well. I hope he's not going to become self-indulgent and about me, but just to illustrate uh, some of the uh, things that we've gone through. And I hope to be an illustration that actually under God, there is actually real hope of change. Mm. Now, this, this painful world doesn't disappear and the stresses and strains don't disappear. Our struggles don't instantly uh, get taken away. But we are people who are changing by the Spirit and there is hope, no matter how we're feeling right now. Well, the way this morning is going to be structured, uh, we've already heard it's going to be in two halves. Basically, the first half, we're going to look at what anxiety is. We're going to look at what it feels like. Uh, we're going to look at some of the reasons why as Christians, maybe we might struggle um, uh, with actually maybe feeling a little bit guilty about anxiety sometimes. Uh, and we're going to look at some of the really practical things that we can do um, to help in those anxious moments and look at some of the maybe the treatments some of the doctors might be suggesting for us and looking at those things through a biblical lens. Then we're going to have our coffee break. Then after the coffee break, it's just Bible. We're going to be looking at what Jesus says that can help us uh, through our anxious times. And so that's the kind of sort of flow. If you, if you think that by coffee break, well, we haven't spent a lot of time in scripture yet. It's coming. Don't panic. Uh, we're just going to take that as our highlight. Uh, and just to warn you as well, because there's nothing more anxious than being a seminar on anxiety and being told to talk to the person next to you about your deepest, darkest fears. Um, uh, there will be a little bit of talking to the person next to you, but I'm not going to ask you to share anything in a big group that's deeply personal. And how much you share with the person next to you is entirely up to you. You know, if they're a really good friend, you might want to be very open and honest with them. Uh, if you actually don't know them that well, uh, then you might want to keep things on a, on a lighter level. But please know there is no pressure to suddenly bear your soul in front of everyone else in the church. Uh, I won't do that to you. Right, well, let's make a start. So what is anxiety? Well, there's a, a little bit of a definition there. It's the fear or apprehension at future events, real or perceived, that impact body and heart. At base, it's about being worried. It's about being scared. And most of the time, it's future-focused. Now, that doesn't mean our past can't impact us in our anxiety. But most of the time, we're worried about what is to come or what we think might come. Sometimes we are worried about something that's very tangible. So it might be we've got a job interview coming up. It might be we've got an exam coming up. It might be we've got a deadline coming up. It might be that very real thing that's out there uh, that we, we are worried about. But a lot of the time with anxiety, we're worried about what might be. That person might reject us. That plane might crash. That relationship might go wrong. That job might not be what we're able to do. <coughs> and so a lot of the time we, we create fear in our mind by imagining the worst case scenarios that could come. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, you are not alone. In 2013, which is a few years ago now, uh, there were 8.2 million cases of anxiety in the UK and numbers have been rising steadily ever since then. We as women are almost twice as likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders as men. And I haven't quite worked out whether that's because we are more prone to anxiety or whether we're more likely to go to the doctors. Uh, and I think there's probably a bit of both in there. But certainly, as women, 
we are uh, much more likely to have a label of anxiety in the way that we struggle. And if you're feeling anxious right now, please know that you are part of the 6.6% of the country that are feeling anxious right now. You're not alone, you're not weird, you're not experiencing something that is out there and um, very, very odd. You are experiencing something that most of us know what it's like at a low level. Well, this is our first opportunity to do a bit of chatting. <coughs> I, I'd love us to spend a little time teasing out what anxiety actually feels like. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide the room in half. So the first four rows, if you can just turn <coughs> to the person next to you and maybe think about what uh, anxiety feels like in your body. So things like, you know, a, a, a sort of butterflies in your stomach or sweaty palms, that kind of thing. Think about the physical stuff and the relational stuff. What does it do to your friendships? What does it do to your close relationships when you're feeling anxious? And then the four A's at the back. If you can think about some of the emotional words uh, that maybe anxiety will bring to mind. So maybe that feeling of being overwhelmed, that feeling of being nervous. Uh, and maybe, I'll give you the tough one, but you can do it, you're up to it. Um, the spiritual factors. What does it do to your relationship with God when you're feeling anxious? What does it do to your desire or to be at church? Maybe you want to be at church more when you're feeling anxious. Maybe you want to run and hide and not go to church when you're feeling anxious. So just a few minutes with the person next to you, twos, threes, whatever works for where you're sitting. And then we'll do just a little bit of feedback after that. So physical and relational at the front, emotional and spiritual at the back. Okay, so let's do a little bit of feedback. Don't worry if um, you haven't discussed everything. We'll, we'll help each other along the way. Uh, so physically, what are some of the physical symptoms of, of feeling anxious? Just shout out anything <coughs> that you came up with. Heart palpitations. Heart palpitations, absolutely. Numbness. Yeah. Numbness. Numbness, yeah. Tension. Yeah, you can actually feel the tension in your shoulders sometimes, particularly, can't you? But anywhere in your body, it can, it can feel, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, a very real panic attack, uh, difficulty breathing. It can almost feel like you're having a heart attack when you're having a full-on panic attack. Um, but you're not. It's uh, much safer than that, but unpleasant nevertheless. Uh, anything else? Nausea. Yes. It does. Anxiety does crazy things to our gastrointestinal tract. And sometimes we just want to eat and eat and eat, and sometimes we can't eat at all. Uh, and sometimes we feel sick, sometimes, well, let's face it, we spend a little too long in the bathroom uh, because things are rather unpleasant at the other end. Uh, yes, lots of things to do with food um, when we're feeling anxious. Anything else? Feeling like your, your whole body's shaking. Yeah, there, there can be that physical shaking, can't there? Sometimes yeah. you can't see it. Yeah. On the outside, you're not shaking, but yeah. your whole inside your body feels yes. like it's shaking. Yeah, it's like butterflies in your stomach, but everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, headaches can be another sign of anxiety. Um, and just tiredness. You know, if we're really stressed, if we're really anxious, sometimes our body just says, like, go to sleep. Um, and um, uh, I think often when we're anxious, we end up napping. Although, on the other side, sometimes it can keep us awake as well, uh, just turning things over in our mind. There's not a one-size-fits-all physical response to anxiety, but there very much is a physical response. This is something we feel in our bodies and experience in our bodies. What about emotional words uh, towards the back? Um, what kind of words did you come up with about how anxiety can feel? You want to lob one out? Stressed. Stressed, yeah. 
Scared. Yes, a real sense of fear there. Angry. Yes, anger can can really link into anxiety. This shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be feeling like this. The the circumstances shouldn't be happening to me. Uh, anger can link in a lot. Yeah. Sometimes anxiety is uh, associated with a loss, and that loss will be a, a very sad thing. Sometimes that anxiety. You just feel sad that you're missing out. You've got social anxiety. You know, there's all those people over there looking like they enjoy themselves, and I'm sitting over here and I'm alone and I'm and I'm not. And you can just feel desperately unhappy, uh, at that sense of not being part of what's going on. Anything else? All-consuming. Yeah, it's utterly all-consuming, overwhelming. Uh, when anxiety is at a slightly higher level, it, it can it basically tints everything. That, that we see in the world um, and actually the anxiety could be well can I go to church can I get to work can, can I go to that social event can I sleep tonight everything that we're experiencing in life um, can be um, tainted tinted by the anxiety experience well how about relationally what does it do to our friendships what does it do to our marriages what does it do to our work relationships when we're feeling anxious misinterpret things that are said absolutely yes um when we're feeling anxious uh we we do um sometimes we're sensitive in a very good way because we can actually see somebody else's pain and we can see somebody else's need and that's a beautiful sensitivity that sometimes anxiety can give us but sometimes we will hear things that aren't being said uh sometimes if someone says oh didn't that person do a great job rather than thinking oh yeah that person did a great job our mind instantly goes to, does that mean I did a bad job? Does that, does that mean that they, they hate me? Does that mean they, they wish that I hadn't been involved? And of course that person hadn't actually said that, and they probably weren't thinking that. Uh, but yes, we can, we can start reading things into a situation uh, that aren't actually there. Any other ir- relational kind of... Pulling away from people? Yeah, else, yeah, absolutely. There can be a real withdrawal. If, I, if going out and meeting people, it, it, even on a one-to-one level, feels too hard, then we can, we can withdraw. I know when I'm feeling anxious, I, I don't want to go out for dinner. I don't want to go out uh, to a big event. Uh, I, I, I kind of, my world shrinks down. And sometimes mm. I'll text people because texting feels a bit safer. Mm. Uh, but actually that physical face-to-face just feels a bit too much. Mm. We pull away. And short term, that's okay. But if that goes on long term, uh, then that can uh, have quite a damaging effect on some of the relationships around. Um, anger or snappiness? Yeah, absolutely. When we're stressed, when we're anxious, our, our tolerance for other things can go down uh, and we can get uh, very irritable with the people around us. Uh, you know, when I've had flat, I'm living alone at the moment, but I've had flatmates in the past. Um, and, you know, most of the time when I'm calm, uh, a plate left on the floor is just a plate left on the floor. It is not one of life's crises. You pick it up and put it somewhere else and the problem goes away. But when the anxiety levels are high, that plate on the floor, oh my goodness me, it's red rag to a bull. The entire world revolves around this plate. This plate is a symbolism of all that is wrong in the universe. <laughs> and I react like it's the end of the world. I'm not alone, am I? <laughs> Any other relational things that you can think of? We're more aware of ourselves than thinking of others. Like we sort yeah. of zone into our own. Yeah, that can be. That can be right. 
And it's not that it's a sense of selfishness. We're not trying to focus on ourselves. But what we're going through is so overwhelming that we do end up with our eyes looking inwards rather than our eyes looking outwards. Sexual relationships. Yeah, absolutely, sexual relationships. Some people can um, go towards promiscuity in anxiety because it gives them that temporary high, that temporary release. Uh, Some people will just move away from their partners if they're in marriage and not want anything to do. Uh, sexually with them uh, because maybe they'll feel inadequate maybe they feel it's going to go wrong maybe they feel they're not worthy uh, maybe they just um, don't want any physical contact uh, because their body is reacting in a different way well m- many books will cover those things not many books will go on to the fourth one that we're going to look at now because actually as a church how it impacts us spiritually is something that we need to be very conscious of as well do not feel anxious about your phone going off. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Um, so in terms of our, our relationship with God, in terms of our attendance at church, what can anxiety do to that? You might search for other sources of comfort besides turning to God or to church. Yeah. Um, in, we know God is real. We know God is near. We know by his spirit he's living inside us, but you can't see him. You can't reach out and, and touch him. He's, he doesn't, he's not tangible in that sense. Uh, and so actually having something that you can feel uh, uh, can often be more appealing than running to a God, even though he's loving and good and powerful and sovereign and all the things we're going to look at later. Actually having something we can touch and hold and see and speak to and they're going to speak back audibly can be a big draw. So it can be very tempting to run away from God and run to something and of course, you know, these other things might well have their uses, uh, but if they're distracting us from God long term, then that's a big danger. Other things? I don't know what your Sundays are like here. I haven't experienced a, a Sunday here, and, I, and sadly I can't stay for tomorrow. Um, but some churches, it, it can be a bit loud and bouncy sometimes, and, and sometimes you think, I just don't want to be around that kind of level of, of music. Um, some churches the music's too loud and people will actually walk out of the church during the songs because the anxiety they can't cope with that level of sound Uh, sometimes it's just a bit too noisy over coffee lots of people milling around some people will find it difficult to sit in the middle of a row uh, on the church they'll want to sit on the end so they feel they can get out nice and easily Uh, there are lots of ways that actually anxiety can um, impact uh, our, 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 our church experience and sometimes, you know, spiritually, we just think, well, does God hate me? Does, has God abandoned me? Is God upset with me for actually feeling anxious? Aren't we supposed to be victorious Christians going through life trusting him? It can be very difficult as a Christian. And anxiety will impact our concentration as we pray and read the Bible. It will impact our ability uh, to sit and be relaxed in church. Well... There's no one-size-fits-all anxiety. Those kind of symptoms that we've been talking about will be present in in any of these kinds of anxiety. But each of these uh, disorders, which will be uh, some of the more technical names you'll see in the psychiatric books out there, uh, if you really want to look them up, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders, uh, edition five, uh, is the the one that is uh, current and huge. Uh, and we'll give you the very technical um, definitions of each of these. But basically, most of us will know what anxiety feels like. 
none of that is is what's listed there that's just that sense of feeling scared that sense of feeling worried we do not need a diagnosis for feeling a little bit anxious but when that anxiety level is general but but high enough to start impacting daily life on a significant level then we'll be calling it something like a generalized anxiety disorder that means as it says on the tim it's it's very general it's not a specific thing uh, but it, it is impacting life uh, and has been impacting life uh, over a number of weeks at least there can be panic disorders where the anxiety of all the symptoms, the panic attacks, are the ones that are most dominant, and they're the ones that are coming more and more frequently. There can be phobias, uh, and that means that all the different symptoms of anxiety, the ones that are more dominant are, are the ones that are, are fear at very specific triggers. So my flight phobia, for example, would be uh, an example of that. But for some people, agoraphobia, actually leaving the house, um, can be a, a very big struggle, or claustrophobia, uh, being in enclosed uh, spaces. Post-traumatic stress disorder uh, is if you've uh, been part of a, a very traumatic uh, incident, whether that's witnessing a death or a terrorist attack, or, or it, it actually can be something like a really traumatic childbirth as well. Thankfully, that's rare, but that can induce PTSD. Or if you've been in an abusive situation uh, over a period of time. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder is typified by things like flashbacks, there can be a real hyper alertness. Every sound you have to look at because it's a potential threat. I know when I was struggling uh, with PTSD, I was still commuting up to London. Uh, so on the train, I, I had to sit in a seat where I, my back was against uh, one of the partitions uh, of the train. So I knew that no one could be behind me and I could see everybody. So no threat could come uh, from behind from my blind spot. It's part of that hyper alertness. Uh, and you get flashbacks going back to the traumatic event, not just a memory, but you're really kind of transported back there, feeling the feelings, smelling the smells, hearing uh, the sounds. And then there's social anxiety disorder, people that might be functioning really well in most aspects of life, but put them in a party, put them in a dinner party, put them in coffee time after church, and the stress levels can get so <coughs> high uh, that they'll feel the need to run and remove themselves uh, from that. That's not the only um, uh, anxiety disorders out there, but they're the most common. Uh, but I'm not going to go into any more depth on that because most of us aren't doctors, and if you are a doctor, well, you know it already anyway. <laughs> so let's have a quick look at some of the things that we might do to cope with anxiety. Now, we're Christians here, so I'm guessing that most of us understand the concept that when life is hard, the good thing to do is to open our Bibles to hear from God, to pray, to talk to God, and to text or speak to our sisters in Christ at church uh, to get some encouragement uh, along the way. Of course, there are other things we can do, like going to our GP, which are great. Uh, but as Christians, I think most of us have it in our principles in our head, relationship with God, relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ is a really good thing to do when life is stressful. I will be completely open and honest with you and say my first port of call when life is stressful, hobnobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do pray, I do read my Bible, I, I do text people, but I almost always have a hobnob or a ginger nut in my hand. Because <laughs> my first tendency is sugar. My first tendency is to want to go out there and get some comfort. Uh, for the tough stuff. 
I'm working on it. The prayer's coming easier. The hobnobs are going down. <laughs> but most of us will have something that we run to in our times of anxiety, something that will give us a little bit of a, a comfort, a little bit of a, a helping hand, we think. Now, some of them are, are more dangerous than others, uh, but none of them are Jesus. Uh, they're all taking us away from Jesus rather than towards him. For some of us, and this one is probably the one that looks the most respectable, or one of the most respectable, is that we just try and over-organise life. Now, I'm not talking about just being organised. Being organised is a good thing. I'm talking about being over-organised. I'm talking about over-controlling the situation. So, to go back on to our plate on the floor, rather than just picking up the plate and putting it in the dishwasher, or saying, can you pick up the plate and put it in the dishwasher? which would be perfectly reasonable ways to bring order and control uh, to a house. It becomes, I don't, I don't know why I bother with you. It's like we haven't had this conversation ever again. Do you actually care about me and my feelings? All I'm asking you to do is pick up the plate and put it in the dishwasher, but you can't even do that. And what we end up doing is laying on so much emotional guilt on the other person that we almost manipulate them and control them in such a way that they comply with us. And we create a world, not by loving other people and not by being organised and wise, but by being slightly manipulative and controlling so that the world around us meets our needs. The world around us is a less anxious place because other people are dancing to our tune. Now, so please don't mishear me. There is nothing wrong in giving feedback to somebody if they're doing something wrong. There's nothing wrong in lovingly asking people to do things differently. But when we tip over into that control, when we tip over into, actually, you, husband, children, you must do as I say, because I want life my way, and it's your job to keep me happy. That's when our respectable controlling of anxiety falls over into an area uh, where we're controlling in ways that are hurtful to the people around. And I guess many of us have seen ourselves do that over the years. Uh, it's not just about loving our children or loving our spouse or loving our flatmate well. It's about getting them to do what we want. Uh, for some of us, it will be food. Uh, some people will restrict the amount of food that they eat uh, because if they can't control what's going on around them, they're going to control what goes in them. That's often the basis of things like anorexia. Obviously, other things uh, are factors there as well. Uh, but sometimes we will control our food intake. Uh, or sometimes we go to the other extreme. Uh, and when things are painful, we just numb it by eating and eating and eating. Comfort eating. It sounds so respectable and cute when you call it that, doesn't it? Mm. But actually, it can go to an extreme, which is not healthy at all. Uh, for some, it's alcohol and drugs. Uh, at the end of a long, hard day, with anxiety and stress coming out of our ears, it's so easy just to sl slop onto the sofa, pour a G&T or whatever your, your drink of choice is, uh, and have a quiet one to take the stress levels down. Now, if you, I know, it, it's not a sin to have a, an occasional drink. Uh, if you want to enjoy a G&T or whatever, a glass of wine, uh, you do that. But it's how we're using it. If we're using it to control our anxiety rather than just to enjoy it with friends, then that's a bit of a warning sign. We're running to something to give us a temporary hit rather than running somewhere that will give us a long-term help. Uh, the same with drugs. It might be things like sex and pornography. Um, sex and uh, whether that's in a married relationship or whether that's watching pornography 
uh, alone. There is something relaxing about sex. I mean, it, it reduces, it, it releases endorphins. It is a, a relaxing act. Uh, and so it's not surprising that sometimes when people are feeling anxious, they'll run to that to try and get that release, that, that little bit of a high, that feeling of calm at the end of a long, hard day. And, and again, of course, if you're married, enjoy sex. Uh, and if you're not married yet, look forward maybe to enjoying sex at one point in the future. It is a wonderful uh, gift of God uh, when he decides to give us a, a marriage partner for that. But if we're running to, if we're using our partner rather than loving our partner, if, we, if we're running to pornography where people are often abused and on drugs uh, and we, we're using uh, a stranger as an object for our own relief, well then, again, we're running away from Jesus to a quick fix that will never truly satisfy. Maybe one of the most common ones for us women is shopping retail therapy. Again, it sounds so innocuous, doesn't it? And of course, who doesn't love to shop? I mean, I love going out of shops and boots are my weakness, I'm afraid. I actually have a relationship um, with one of my um, old elders from my last church. Uh, and every time I want to buy a pair of boots, I have to send him a picture first. And he'll just go, they're brown. Okay, I know, aren't they a lovely brown? He said, how many pairs of brown boots do you have already, Helen? Only three. He said, why, 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 why do you need three? <laughs> you have one pair of feet. You can't possibly need a fourth pair of brown boots. But they're a different colour brown. <laughs> well, again, shopping is fun. And there is no harm in buying things that are, are fun. Uh, we need clothes. Um, it's weird if we don't wear them. Um, <laughs> but actually, if we're using our shopping to go out there just to make ourselves feel good, if we're using shopping to take that anxiety down, then, well, again, we're running away from Jesus and running towards a quick fix. A quick fix that doesn't actually fix. Because after we've come back from our shopping trip, once the next little lot of anxiety hits, well, we just have to go on another shopping trip and another shopping trip, and another shopping trip, and it never truly satisfies. For some people, it's gaming, um, uh, just going online, getting immersed in a whole new world. There are uh, uh, games online now where you can create your own character, you can pretend to be somebody that you're not. And actually, if this life is really painful, that can hold a deeper look. <coughs> I don't like the person I am right now, right here, so I'm going to go online and be that bold person, be that confident person, be that flirty person, be that person who's got loads of friends. I can pretend to be that. And for a moment, I, <coughs> I can pretend that I am that. Or maybe you're not into online gaming, but actually in anxiety, you just sit and scroll. I was uh, on a very busy train on the way down from London yesterday. Not particularly anxious, but... They, you, know, you, just, you, you go into automatic these days sometimes, don't you? And just scroll through Facebook, then scroll through Twitter, then scroll through Instagram, then scroll back through the WhatsApp texts. And suddenly two and a half hours have gone. And all you've done is just see other people's photos fling past your eyes. It kind of numbs for a little while. Or maybe most common in churches. And doesn't this one look godly? In the midst of our anxiety, we just make ourselves so busy that we can't feel anymore. Because quite frankly, if I'm out 
up and early at 6.30 doing a breakfast one-to-one. And then I scream into work. And then at lunchtime, uh, I type out loads of emails and then uh, do another full afternoon of work. Probably leave a little late from work because I'm a really dedicated employee. And then on the way home from work, I drop into that little old lady who's actually been in hospital recently. Wouldn't it be nice to take around a meal? And then I quickly run home, get some food for myself or the family. Then, of course, there's the prayer meeting and Bible study that evening. I can't be late for that. And then after the prayer meeting, oh, my goodness, that person was so upset. I had to sit and pray with them one-to-one, didn't I? And then I walked them home. It was the decent thing to do. And then suddenly from 6.30 in the morning till 11.30 at night, when we have our extended quiet time, suddenly we have scheduled every second of every day and we can't even remember what what feelings feel like we've managed to numb the whole of our existence by whirring ourselves into a state of hyperactivity and for a little while it works for a little while we can push our emotions away and we can do masses of good stuff for God but in the end it just catches up with us in the end we become exhausted and burnt out, and in the end, the anxiety finds its way to come back to the surface in a much more intense way than before. Well, I'm not going to ask you to uh, say this out loud, but I'm just going to leave 30 seconds of quiet now for you to identify. Where, where do you run? What's your natural tendency when anxiety hits? It might be something that's not on that list. But have a personal reflection. And see it for what it is, a temporary fix that does you no good in the long term. Right, well let's press on. Back to the person next to you. Some people would say, or at least assume, that Christians shouldn't struggle with anxiety. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying some people say that. What do you think might be at the root of some beliefs? Because most of us that have struggled with anxiety have either (coughs) felt or had a comment made to us which suggests, actually, that this isn't as things should be. So just literally 30 seconds with the person next to you. Why do you think some people say things like that or believe things like that? Okay. What do you reckon? Why, why do you think people think we as Christians shouldn't struggle with anxiety? <coughs> it's Jesus' fault, yes, absolutely. He says, do not be anxious. How could he? We'll pick up on that in a minute, yes. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, what I was going to say is that sometimes non-Christians um, don't understand why you have problems because they sort of almost assume that if you have God in your life, then everything's great. Yeah. Yeah. You, ne- you never have problems like normal people you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and so they're sort of like, well, you've got God in your life, why, you know. Absolutely. But Christianity comes with built-in bubble wrap to protect absolutely. you from the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's right. I think there are people outside the church that look in and go, but you're a Christian, you're a good person, you're supposed to be nice to one another, you're not supposed to have relational stress, you know. It doesn't God look after you? What's the point of being a Christian if life's still really hard? So sometimes we get it in the neck from people that don't believe. But actually sometimes there's a very real theological struggle as well. You know, Jesus says, do not be anxious. 
about anything. Although, of course, we also need to remember that the Bible also says, be holy. We don't necessarily expect us all to be holy in every aspect. The Bible also says, be perfect. And I'm assuming that none of us are expecting the person sitting next to us to be perfect. There's something aspirational in what Jesus is saying. Of course, he wants us not to be anxious, but it's not a stop being anxious. It's a let's move towards a place where you're not anxious. It's about, it's an aim that we move to gradually. Well, I think one of the reasons uh, Jesus spoke so frequently of anxiety, and if you look through uh, books of the Bible, especially places like Matthew, and he does talk a lot about anxiety, the reason he spoke so much about it was because he knew we would be anxious. You know, just in the same way, he spoke a lot about money because he knew that we would tend towards greed. He spoke a lot about sex because he knew we would tend towards impurity. He spoke a lot about anxiety because he knew we would tend towards worry. He, he made us, he knows us, he knows the world we live in, so these things don't surprise him. And, and biblically, anxiety shouldn't surprise us. I mean, we live in a broken world. I mean, Genesis 1 and 2 introduces us to a very perfect world, but we don't live in that perfect world anymore. Genesis 3 has happened, the fall has happened. You know, sin has come into the world. We now live in a relationship with God that has... It's not free like it was in Genesis 1 and 2. We need Jesus uh, to help us uh, relate. Uh, We don't have perfect relationships with the people around us like in Genesis 1 and 2. You know, after Genesis 3, we've tried to dominate each other. There's been breaks. We don't live in a perfect world like they did in Genesis 1 and 2. We live in a broken world. Everything is not as it should be. And so if I were to do a, a survey of everyone in this room, I can guarantee you that everyone here would have something broken in their past, something broken in their present, and something that they're worried about breaking in the future. Because that is normal human life in a fallen world. For some of us, we'll be able to look back on abuse. For some of us, we'll be be able to look back on a a desperately painful, broken relationship. Uh, For some of us, we'll be able to look back on our past and really regret something that we've done or something that's been done to us. For some of us, that'll be massive things. For others of us, Uh, much more kind of day-to-day things, but for all of us, there will be pain in the past. Uh, If I went around and chatted to you about how life is now, all of you would have a current stress. Now, for some of you, that's going to be a massive stress. For others of you, a much smaller one, but all of you have got something going on in your life right now that hurts, because that is normality. And whether that's work stress, or stress at home, or whether that's Um, a sort of a relationship that's gone wrong or whether that's caring for an elderly relative or whether that's sleep deprivation from a newborn baby or or whether that's uh, a spiritual doubt or whether that's uh, depression or an illness there's something going on for each and every one of us that induces anxiety because it's painful and all of us have uncertain futures I mean God has our futures in his hands but we don't know the details and that means we're not quite sure what's going to happen. I, uh, I often joke uh, with my friends, uh, my love language is mockery, just so that uh, it gives you a kind of a frame of reference, and my friends know that well. But occasionally I do have a very melancholic moment. Um, I, I, my parents are dead, my grandparents are dead, uh, my sister uh, died a number of years ago, I don't have any other brothers and sisters, I'm not married, I don't have children, I, I am my family. 
Uh, and sometimes I have a real Bridget Jones moment and say, I'm going to die alone in my flat and I'm going to get eaten by my cats. <laughs> this is how I see my life ending. And my friends, bless them, um, know how to handle me well and usually text back and go, yeah, probably, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> exactly how it's going to happen, Helen. Uh, and, and that's probably not exactly how it's going to happen. <laughs> it's a very unlikely scenario uh, for my future. But we have our worries about our future. How, you know, are we going to be OK? Is our physical health going to deteriorate? Are we going to end up looking after uh, an LZ relative? Do we have to give up jobs? Will we have to move? You know, all these questions will be going around our minds. Will, will our children grow up knowing and loving the Lord, or, or will they, they, they wander away? Am, am I going to get married? Am I going to stay single? Am I, I am married. Do I have to stay married? Um, yeah. All these questions uh, will, will be going through our heads. The future feels like a scary place. And it's not just about our experiences, it's about our bodies as well. God has made us embodied souls. We're not just kind of souls with a bit of flesh around us. Our, our bodies matter. Some of you here have got medical backgrounds. You'll be able to talk much more than I can about you know, the genetic influences on anxiety. Uh, you know, if we've got parents and the grandparents who've started, struggled with anxiety, you know, we might be biologically predisposed to be anxious ourselves. We may also have learnt behaviour from them as well. It would be a combination of those things. But our bodies do matter. And we are all women here. So let's just be honest. There are moments of the month, aren't there, when anxiety levels can increase rather a lot. <laughs> now, there are moments, there's, I have one day in the month where, you know, most days of the month, I'm relatively calm and serene. I can handle most that life throws at me. But there is one day in the month where I genuinely am a murder risk. <laughs> As I get older, these things get easier. <clears throat> but hormones do actually make a difference. They make a difference to our anxiety levels as well. If you just had a baby, you know, that can be a real moment of anxiety. Not is it just that you have this small, damp, loud, wriggling thing that you don't know what to do with. There is no manual. You're sleep deprived, but also your hormones are going completely crazy. And for those of us on the more old end of the spectrum, uh, um, I've just hit 50, as I, as I said earlier, I have a new favourite Facebook meme. Uh, not all of you will, will understand this yet, but some of you will be able to nod along. If I knew how much of my 50s I was going to spend sitting on the bathroom floor, I would have bought different tiles. <laughs> <laughs> it is the reality uh, of hormones changing at the other end of life. And then, as well as all these broken experiences that we've got, and these broken bodies that we've got, and the illness can play a part in anxiety too. We all have broken desires. John Calvin, that great theologian of the Reformation, described our hearts as idol factories. They constantly want to go after stuff that actually God doesn't want us to have. They're constantly putting stuff as more important than Jesus. It's like, you know, as single women, sometimes we idolise marriage. I'm always quite chuckled that a number of married women I know idolise singleness. You know, we always think grass is greener on the other side, but it, it never really is. But we, we can convince ourselves that unless we have that one thing, then actually life isn't right. And God's given us some kind of second-class life. It took me a, a long time to get to the point of actually understanding that singleness was God's gift to me, not God's curse. And it was a beautiful thing to enable me to flourish and to serve him well. 
But it's not just about relationships. There'll be only if I have a job, only if I'm a homeowner, only if I'm happy, only if I'm healthy, only if I have that overseas holiday, only if I have that experience, only, only, only. Life's only going to be right if. It drags us away from the contentment that God calls us to. And the more we search after the unattainable, the more anxious we get. You know, I really want that thing. Well, God says, but you're not going to have that thing. But I really want it. I need it. And we get more and more anxious trying to pursue something that God has said, actually, for good reasons, is not going to be ours. There's things coming at us. There's things in us. There's things coming out of us. And put them together. And they are a recipe for anxiety. It is no wonder that we feel anxious in this broken world. So what will our doctors tell us to do? What will our friends uh, outside of the church tell us to do? Well, largely this, to look for self-help, online relaxation courses, coping strategies, talking therapies, things like cognitive behavioural therapy, which is largely behaviour modification, taking medication, um, SSRIs and benzodiazepines, mindfulness, they're the kind of things that are recommended. And, and some of those things have a lot of merit to them. Actually, relaxing is a good thing to do. And if an app listening to waves or whale sounds helps you relax, then you go for it. There is nothing wrong with doing an online app for relaxation. CBT has its place. I, I, as a biblical counsellor, I, I have some concerns about aspects of CBT. But the basis of CBT, which is basically thinking one thing and then training yourself to think a different thing, which will then enable you to act in a different way. Well, actually, that resonates with a lot of what the Bible says about taking off our old self and putting on our new self. There's a lot of uh, overlap there. Obviously, CBT is a secular thing. It's done without God. And as Christians, we'll want to be doing things with God. Uh, but some of the, the principles with CBT are, are very helpful indeed. We've already talked uh, talking talks uh, about our bodies being broken and sometimes medication is is necessary as Christians well, we don't want to run to medication mindlessly but neither do we want to be ashamed of using it if it's necessary sometimes our bodies need help and if you need a bit of medication to help with your anxiety you, you take a bit of medication to help with your anxiety there is no shame in that but the uh, suggestion of the year, if you like, the, the thing that people run to most these days is mindfulness. If you've been into Waterstones recently and look at the self-help books, it's mindfulness from wall to wall. So what I'd like us to do just very briefly before coffee is to spend a little time thinking about mindfulness um, and uh, how we can view that as Christians. Now, mindfulness, for those of you who don't know, has Buddhist roots. Now, if your doctor has recommended you do mindfulness, you're not going to notice an awful lot of Buddhism in there. It's been secularised massively in recent years. But it has come from a Buddhist stable. Uh, and as Christians, well, we don't necessarily want to panic about that, but I think that is something that goes, OK, let's just think that one through, because we're not Buddhists. Uh, we are Christians, so let's just tease out if there's anything there uh, that um, we want to adopt and if there's anything there that we don't want to adopt. Basically, it's a meditative process. It's something that allows people to focus on the present, often paying attention to the breathing and the thoughts that are going through. Uh, some of it will be working through an app. Some of it will be meditating on a word. Some of it will be an emptying of the mind. 
Some of it will be, uh, in the more popular versions of it, will be the colouring in. You've seen those mindfulness colouring in books? Um, some people love them, some people hate them. Personally, I'd rather have root canal than a felt tip pen. Um, but if you like colouring in, go for it. There is nothing ungodly about colouring in, if, if that helps you uh, relax. Uh, what it does do uh, is uh, encourage us to take our thoughts, notice our emotions, and then just set them to one side. That is one of the basis of mindfulness. You think, oh, these thoughts are flooding in. Okay, I've noted that I'm feeling anxious. I'm going to put that anxiety over there. I've noticed I'm worrying about little Johnny's test tomorrow. I'm going to put that over there. It encourages us to focus on the present. And it says that our anxiety are often a problem of perception. And, and the solution is within us, uh, if, we can, if we can find it there. Now, as I was going through that, which I, I, I admit is a very superficial introduction to mindfulness. I'm not suggesting that's all there is to it. Hopefully you'll see there, some of the stuff there is going, yeah, that's, that's great, that, that's really resonating uh, with the Christian faith. And maybe some other things there, we're thinking, actually, that's just a little bit different to the Christian faith. So, for example, meditation is a wonderful Christian discipline. There is nothing wrong with meditation whatsoever. Now, what we meditate on uh, is possibly uh, different to what a Buddhist might meditate on. Uh, but the process of meditation is something as Christians we can adopt wholeheartedly. Focusing on the present. Well, there are Bible verses that resonate with that. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Focus on today. Actually focusing on the present rather than letting our minds spiral off into the future. That's a wonderfully biblical thing. We can take that from mindfulness and go, yes, absolutely. <coughs> Accepting our thoughts. Well, God doesn't encourage us to hate ourselves. God doesn't encourage us to, to sort of be down on ourselves because we're thinking separately certain thoughts and I think acceptance yeah that's that's something that's <coughs> broadly compatible with Christianity but when it comes to things like setting our thoughts aside well that's a bit different to what the Bible says about taking every thought captive at that point it gets slightly different when when the Buddhists would say well let's put it over there the Bible says no 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 let, let's let's grab hold of it and let's bring this under the lens of scripture uh, and see whether this is a, is a biblical thought or whether this is something that needs addressing and transforming. That's where it starts to get a little bit uh, different. And then to find the solution within ourselves, well, do you remember that old, no, not all of you are old enough, but some of you here are, that old Mariah Carey song, Look Inside Yourself and Find the Hero Within. <laughs> You may love or hate Mariah Carey. <laughs> but I have spent many, many years looking inside myself for the hero within. And I can honestly say there is no little heroic Helen in there. My hero is Jesus. And I suppose you can say the Holy Spirit is within. Uh, so maybe it works on that level. But if we're looking to ourselves to find the solution, well, I'm not saying that there's nothing that we can do to help ourselves. Of course there is. But I would always want to be saying to people, actually, Jesus has got a much better idea than me. He's much stronger. He's much more loving. He's much more wonderful. Let's be looking up to him rather than looking in. Now, if you're using mindfulness, please don't hear this as me being down on you. I think there's masses we can learn from mindfulness. And some of the techniques are brilliantly useful. Grab them with both hands. But as Christians, I just encourage us to be a little bit cautious at some of the aspects of mindfulness and to remember that Jesus is offering us something so much better 
than anything mindfulness can. So, very lastly, before uh, the coffee, which I can hear the bubbling outside, <laughs> is going on. What are some of the very simple, practical things that we can learn from the secular services that will help us with our anxiety? We can, we can focus on our breathing. Actually, the more shallow our breathing, the more anxious we get. The more deep our breathing, the more relaxed we can get. We can slow our heart rate a little bit. Breathe from the diaphragm, not from the throat. Actually, pulling in our stomach, we do have muscles down there, girls, honest we do. <laughs> we can pull them in and breathe deeply, in through the nose, out through the mouth. It can be a wonderful way to feel a little bit more relaxed. Grounding techniques is a wonderful thing that I learnt uh, from a CBT practitioner. Uh, simple things like touch. The brain responds more to touch than it does to sound, or more quickly to touch, which is why a hug is so important when we're having a hard time. It's not just the relational aspects. Our body is going, oh, there's something nice and warm and safe around me. Uh, and that's a calming thing. Uh, if uh, you don't have someone handy to hug you, which obviously we don't always, um, simple things like touching your fingers against your thumb, one against the other. It's a simple grounding technique if you're feeling panicky. just helps bring your body back to the present and focus on the here and now. If you're with somebody having a panic attack, you can do things like look around the room, Name five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can um, touch, uh, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. Engaging all the senses. Again, a wonderful thing uh, that secular practitioners will use. We can learn from it massively. Resting. as a thought. Actually taking some time out to rest can bring our anxiety levels down. I remember in ministry uh, going through a particularly busy period and saying to my pastor, I just, I feel like life is spiralling out of control. And he said, hell, I just want you to go home and sit and stare at a wall. So I said, okay, I've got things to do. go home and sit and stare at a wall and pray. I thought, I don't want to go and sit, sit and stare <laughs> at a wall and pray. And it was brilliant. I don't have very exciting walls. They're not even a nice colour in my house but just sitting and staring at nothingness whilst praying just took the anxiety levels down a bit as I stopped and rested. Reprioritising, shock horror, not everything is urgent. Not everything needs to be done today. Social media, our phones, give us the tyranny of the urgent, don't they? It's okay to say no. It's okay to say I'll do it tomorrow. Taking exercise, going for a walk, going for a run, going to the gym. If you have a dog, they are a beautiful therapeutic anxiety-reducing tool. They take you out for an exercise, they are warm, and they lick you to within an inch of your eye. It depends on the dog slightly. Yeah. <laughs> if you have one that's constantly whining and weeing in the middle of your floor, then that's probably more anxiety-inducing. But I know in my moments of anxiety, I have a friend who's got three collies. They are interactive dogs <laughs> you sit there and the wall of dog comes at you and you just sit there and cuddle all three of them for it and they'll stay there for an hour an hour and a half just cuddling up if you don't like dogs it won't work <laughs> but go out for some exercise with a, with a friend and take medication if you need to but much of all those things are utterly wonderful and I have been speaking for just slightly too long they are not Jesus. And what we're going to look at after coffee 
uh, which we'll have now, is just what beautiful words Jesus speaks into our anxieties and how he can help lead us through even the most toughest of times.